blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello, our dreamy, steamy friends, and welcome to Scalpels and Tequila. I'm Tamsin. And I'm Ayla. And today we are losing our religion and our minds and Tamsin's fingertips. I know. I'm so cold. (laughs) The weather's been so up and down in Melbourne, like the rest of our lives. We want to apologize for this episode being late, but y'all know this is not a full-time gig. Yeah, look, it's a little bit late, but it's okay. It's a hard episode to do, but it's a brilliant episode. I love this episode so much, and we just had a lot of things get in our way this week, but it is okay. We are here, and we are ready. And I don't know about you, but this episode took me three watches because I just, I remember the first time I watched this episode, and it shook me to my core, and still, it took me three attempts to watch it, and I knew what was coming. But it hurts so much more now that I have Mm. such a deep connection with these characters. How did you go? This is my fourth watch. I've watched it multiple times as well, but I've been watching it for the last few weeks. So every time we've been watching one episode, the last few episodes, I've been watching them until the end and I haven't been telling you. (laughs) So I've been watching the last few weeks. I've watched it. Yeah. Multiple times. Why do you hate yourself like that? I actually think this episode is really, really good. Like I think the writing is really amazing and really detailed. When I found out that the episode was called Losing My Religion, mm-hmm. I think it's really pertinent because. Did we say that? We are doing season <laughs> two, episode 27, the final episode of the season, and it is called Losing My Religion. Back to you, Ayla. But I thought that was so fitting because we do kind of watch all of our main characters lose something this episode. But the first thought that came to my mind was this episode is called Losing Your Religion because after watching this episode, whatever previous religion you had is gone out the window and you are now a convert (laughs) to the Church of Grey's Anatomy. I love that. I do think, I mean, that's the main theme of this episode. It's all about all of our characters letting go of something that they've probably been holding on so tightly. A lot of it is kind of within themselves as well, like their ideas of themselves. They've shaken or they've had to let go of and they've realized that they're kind of shedding some sort of skin and evolving into their next version of them. Oh, just all the piles of snake skin in Dr. Weber's office. Sorry, that's immediately where my brain went. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I hope no one was eating breakfast. I don't think it's gross. Snake skin's cool. Yeah, but a pile of it on the floor. I mean, I don't like the idea that there's probably a lot of snakes around. We live in Australia. Don't let the Americans know that drop bears aren't real and there aren't snakes in every toilet. Now, was there even a monologue in this episode? No, (gasps) there was not. Is this the first episode? Yeah. (gasps) So this is, I think, because it's so connected. It just jumps straight in from our last episode that it does not have a monologue. Mm-hmm. So we we open this episode and we are straight into it, exactly where we left off last, last episode, and we are back in both ORs. We go straight back into Burke's OR and straight back into Denny's OR. And at the end of last episode, we saw someone flatline and we didn't know who it was, and we learned pretty quickly that it's Denny. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Hahn is looking at Denny's heart and she's still saying, just wait, just wait, just wait. 
and everyone's urging her to do more. And she just lets the hut, leaves it, waits, and Izzy is up there in the gallery watching, stressed out of her little blonde mind, and then it beats. And she sits on the floor and bursts into tears, and it's incredible acting. She is crying, and then you just see her smile, and it's like she's been holding on to so much, and she can just let it go. Whereas Burke, on the other hand, pun, um, he's finally calmed down enough to be able to try and wiggle his fingers, and Christina's absolutely paralysed. She can't do anything aside from slowly back out and then run out of the room as quickly as she can. And then we get to kind of the start of uh, some more storylines for this episode. And my favourite of all of the storylines this episode is that all of our interns are going to have to be questioned and interrogated by the chief because he needs to know what went down in Denny's room. And we see our five interns standing in the chief's office and one by one, they all say, I cut the LVAD wire. I want to know what the original TV show or film or book was where everyone stood up and said that because you see it so much in film and TV. Totally. It's such a trope. Mm-hmm. It's such a we are all in this together. We all did it. It's actually something I feel like you see in a lot of high school things. Yeah, I immediately get like breakfast club vibes everyone trying to sort of protect each other definitely and I think uh, there's such a high school theme that runs straight through this episode I mean it's obvious with the idea of the prom but it's also in everybody's actions and this episode really does feel like it's not a hospital it's a high school and I love it it definitely has a John Hughes vibe about it it definitely feels very breakfast clubby and I'm really excited about the prom because we can discuss all of the early thousands fashion. Oh, yeah. Because standing in Dr. Webber's office where they're all lined up and saying, I cut the LVAD wire, all I could look at and the only notes that I've got is what in the early thousands is that bolero Izzy? <laughs> yeah, so because Izzy is now basically not a surgeon, she's been told she can't She doesn't work here at the moment. She's gone on some sort of probation until they figure out what to do and what's going on. She is not in scrubs like the rest of them. And none of our interns are allowed to do any surgeries. No surgeries, no scrubbing, no watching, no OR floor. They will all serve one patient. But for some reason, Izzy is wearing this bolero that looks like it's made out of tracksuit material. Oh, she's visiting Denny for the day. That's why she's there. Yeah, it's a ra- it's a wrap top over a singlet, mm-hmm. but it, the sleeves puff halfway down the bicep for no good reason, mm. and it doesn't wrap around the waist. It wraps in that odd area between the waist and the underboob. Mm. Do you remember how we'd wear belts that would were wide enough that they would stretch between the underboob and the waist, kind of over your ribs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember those belts. <laughs> But we do get a really funny moment because they all they've all said I cut the Alvad wire, except Alex, who says, I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and then we get this really beautiful moment when they're out in the hall. And Christina says, We stick together. We all did this. And it's just not the Christina that we have come to know. It's this 
other Christina, this Christina that's inside her that's always been there but she never lets out and she's shocked with herself. Oh, everyone else is shocked too. Because all of a sudden she's putting her friends before her career, her humanity first, which is the opposite to what she said to Burke. She's constantly said she's a surgeon first and all of a sudden out of her mouth without her realising it, I think, she says, we stick together. We're all in this. We're not going to tell. But somewhere along the way made a family. Which is kind of crazy because when it was all going down, she said to Izzy, this game isn't fun for me. I don't want to play. And that family is about to be responsible for some teenagers. Yes. So (laughs) they are not allowed to operate. And the chief wants to have an individual chat with them all. But in the meantime, to give them something to do, and as a little bit of a punishment, their job is to basically bend over. Is that what is that? What it bend over hand and foot? What that's not a thing. <laughs> What's the saying? Bend over backwards and wait on you hand and foot. Two sayings I meshed Correct. into one. Well, they're doing both of those things. Uh-huh. <laughs> For the chief's niece, Camille. Um, and they don't get to work directly with Camille. They get to work with her two best friends, who I'm gonna call like and curly, because curly's hair is amazing. And the other girl with the most beautiful golden eyes will not stop saying like, 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 like the best prom ever. Like, you know, everyone needs to be there. And like, like, oh, I get so frustrated when they still write teenagers like that. Do you? Because I think it's really real. It's taken me a long time to say like a a less. I still say it, but I say it a lot less than I did when I was a teenager. And I've had to retrain myself to try and get that word out of my vernacular. That is so true for that time. That's exactly how we spoke. It is. Yeah, and it drove me nuts then and it still drives me crazy today. Yeah. I'm trying to learn to stop saying just all the time. Just a quick Mm -hmm. email. Just wondering. I mean, that that speaks to a whole other thing. Mm. I feel like that's a female thing and something that we've been ingrained in us that, yeah. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is conditioned to do. What's really fun about these teen girls is how excited they are about the prom and all these different ideas. But it gets our interns talking about what they were like as a teen. And I desperately want to see photos of Meredith. With pink hair. As a goth yeah. teen. Because I don't believe it. I was going to say the same thing. Neither do I. Because I was an alternative kid. I always have been an alternative kid. I've always had piercings. I've always had tattoos. To be honest, I've always kind of dressed quite 1950s or um, rockabilly. Mm -hmm. And I still do. And there are times when my style changes a little bit. But everyone I know who was a goth kid or who was an alternative kid still holds on to some of that style to these days. Mm -hmm. So I find it really strange that she would go from spending six years of her life having certain interests to being a pop music loving blonde person. Well, the thing that makes it confusing for me is the way she looks at Callie because I feel like that's Callie's history. Correct. That's Callie as a teen. Yeah, absolutely. And Meredith walks around the hospital like she's the mean girl almost, you know? Yeah. And I just feel like. I see Callie as the alternative girl in the leather jacket. Definitely. 
it just doesn't it doesn't fit for me that Meredith is saying this. I don't think Meredith was like the queen bee. She wasn't the Izzy in her high school at all. But she, I don't see her as the like punk kid, alternative kid. No, I see her as a, a solid middle ground, regular strength, everyday teen. Yeah, but also one that probably worked really hard, mm-hmm. got good, got good grades, but also partied a bit. Went out on the weekends with her friends, underage drank, but was oh yeah, definitely had a pink streak through her hair to piss off her mum. Mm. Definitely. I believe that. Had a, had a rebellious mm-hmm. streak, but no. She wasn't like a gothy emo kid. Mm-mm. No. No. <laughs> Not at all. Like your high school vibe, I'm guessing you dressed eclectically. There's a There was a fashion in the early thousands that I can't remember what it's called, but it was, I imagine it was being kind of twee, but definitely being one of the... Um, the the theatre kids, but you probably had some large bows that you wore in your hair, thick black rimmed glasses, maybe a pair of Converse or Vans or, yeah. Yeah, you've actually weirdly hit the nail on the head. Yes. Mm. Yeah, there was a like a mill market and I would get all my clothes from there. Twee, that's what it was called, right? Very like Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, that's yeah, it's the vibe I was exactly going yeah. for. You wore tartan and plaid and pussy bows and pale colours and stuff, but you still sort of listen to the what's what's the band? Cute without the E. Um Oh, Death Cab for Cutie. Death Cab for Cutie. <laughs> How do you know? How do you get me in one? How are you doing this? Because you were the alternative kid that was in the group of friends with the emos and the hardcore kids and the alternative kids, and I was a hardcore kid. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> back, back to our Grey's Anatomy high school. Um, and Christina tells us about her high school life. So she she did go to the prom, but she only did it because her mother told her to and her her date barked on her dress. See, I see Christina as a very, like, person with a tiger mom very very quiet kid that surprised everyone by just like one day showing up on a motorbike in the last year of school and we all know exactly who alex was he was the angry kid who used to smoke cigarettes off the oval he was a bit of an asshole and he never studied he never really seemed to do anything but he got great grades so annoying those ones (laughs) but he was a jock as well he played a lot of sports he was sean and George was the wimpy kid who got bullied. Totally. George is the kid that didn't have sex until well into university. <laughs> and he idolised the Twee girls and the Merediths. And as much as Izzy was the Queen Bee, she is not there to help them plan this prom. So they beg and they plead and they grab Bailey to help. It is all high school. Everything is high school. And Bailey so unexpectedly saves the day we learn from bailey that bailey has all the answers for this the, the theme should be silver and white because it makes the clothes pop and she says pop makes everything pop pop and it's very good and it's very bailey it's very good for an episode with no opening monologue we get some beautiful monologues this episode yeah. so this is i think this is the oh, this whole episode for me is genius but these five monologues are all so, so beautifully done. Mm -hmm. So into the chief's office, 
we see all of our five interns one by one being questioned one by one. Although actually I do think before this happens, we should touch on the fact that all of them have had a little interaction with someone before they go in that I think is pretty important. Meredith sees Finn in the corridor and Meredith asks Finn to come to prom with her. And Finn also tells Meredith that Doc is getting worse and that his tumour has spread to his brain. Mm -hmm. And it might be sleepy time. Weber actually talks to Bailey and asks her what she knows about it. And she's like, I walked into the room and I can tell you what I think happened, but I did not definitively see anything. And Weber says, I will break them Mm. and find out. And he also declares to the entire nursing station floor of the hospital that everyone goes to prom. It is mandatory. (laughs) Because remember, Adele threatened him after ousting that she knew that he... um, was cheating on it for so many years. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What happens with George is George and Callie have a little bit of a chat where Callie is kind of Callie's kind of upset because again, I just feel like George is treating Callie so badly. At the end of the last episode, we saw well, during the last episode, we see Callie tell George that she loves him. And George doesn't reply because George gets pulled from the room and George goes off with Izzy. So Callie's feeling hurt and probably super super vulnerable and George asks her to prom and she says no the thing that about Christina happens is Christina's walking past that was a bad sentence Christina before she gets interrogated is that she's walking past Burke's room and she sees him looking at his hand can we just talk about Burke's hotel room for a second because everybody else that we see in this hospital has regular strength hospital sheets and regular strength hospital rooms. Did you say Burke's hotel room? Correct, because he is in there on these plush emerald green sheets with Very privacy. bed threads, aren't they? Right? <laughs> like that's like like sage sage linen bedspreads from bed threads. <laughs> it just it took me completely out of the hospital fantasy because I was like, why does he get the bougie sheets? Totally. Mm-hmm. And when Christina goes in, she, you know, tells him about the prom and he says, yes. She doesn't go in just yet. She gets interrogated first and then she goes in. But they just make eye contact and Burke is looking at his hand. And I don't, I feel like you don't quite see, but what I'm, what I think is happening is that you see that he has a bit of a tremor. I saw that. I picked up on that. Mm-hmm. You did? Okay, cool. Because I was like, I think that's what's supposed to happen here, but I couldn't quite see it. Because his hand shakes a little bit and then he covers it and then he sees that Christina saw. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and then they make eye contact. So Christina, again, has seen this man that she loves as surgeon Dr. Burke a bit mm. damaged and they knew that was something that could happen, something could go wrong with his hand during surgery and, I mean, He's only just woken up from surgery, so he can still heal, but in this moment he looks very worried and they lock eyes. And now we get to these amazing interrogation monologues. And first up is Alex. And his monologue just plays so beautifully into how we pegged each person's high school personality because Christine, Christina, Mm -hmm. Alex's confession to the chief is all about how he played 
sports in high school and that when you're on a team, it's Mm -hmm. your team and you don't quit. You show up, you suit up and you play the game. It doesn't matter how shit a person is. You are part of a team and you get the job done. And it shows just how deeply loyal Alex is because we all know, and I think the entire hospital knows, that him he's been quite ostracised from the group for a while now, but they're still his people. I feel like this shows such a change in Alex because I think the way he has been operating in this hospital and operating as a human is that he feels very, I'm a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. No one supported me. I did everything by myself. I'm doing everything for myself, by myself. I don't have ties to anyone. I don't have loyalties to anyone. It's me against the world. And all of a sudden, I think this is the losing my religion part of Alex. He's like, he's admitting that he's part of this team and he's created this family and he needs to accept that. And that could be a big change for him going forward. Well, as a viewer, it was quite surprising as well, because when they first spoke to Dr. Burke, he came out and said, I'm just going to tell him. I'm going to tell Dr. Weber exactly what happened because I want to go back and do surgeries. Exactly. It's very moving from Alex. It shows so much growth. Well, what we thought we were going to get from Alex is exactly what Weber says to Christina. She Mm. sat down next and he says, you're a surgical junkie. You're going to cave before anyone else does. And she breaks but not in the way anyone was expecting this is I think this is my favorite part of this episode this to me is so powerful this is like Mm -hmm. the whole of Christina's facade completely shattering and it's shocking her as much as it's shocking us I know I keep going back to this but remember the episode where Ellis is in the hospital and we remarked on how childlike Meredith suddenly became yep I could not see Christina as anything other than an awkward, scared teenager in this moment. And she tells Dr. Weber about how hard it is to sit in front of someone who's in a position of power over me and not tell them exactly what they want to hear is impossible and it's it's breaking me. So she says she doesn't want to answer this question of what happened and who cut the Alvad wire. And she asks Chief, how do you keep your edge? She says, I've always been the one with the answers, but right now I don't have any. And she says, how do you keep your edge? I watch you. You've been doing this a long time and you're clean and you're focused. You are the job and nothing gets to you. The thing is, sir, I was like that until I got here, until I started doing this job. And now everything is fuzzy. Before I could have told you and I would have no guilt and no feelings, before I wouldn't have even been in that room. And then she talks about Burke and we realise she's talking about Burke and she's talking about the Elvad wire because she said, I would have told him what I thought he should do. She says, I had an edge. And this, this, this moment is so, it's so amazing. She's admitting that she is letting her feelings out. She's letting her feelings take over. She's letting her feelings affect Mm. her decision-making. And I think that's a very new thing for her 
mm-hmm. because as we said, our impression of her in high school was she was probably a loner and probably didn't have these connections because she thought it made life easier to not have people around. And now she does. And she has no idea how to maintain these emotions or or deal with these situations and these feelings because she hasn't had to before and she wants to go back to the person that she was. Yeah, because the person that she was was probably a lot easier to be. Simple. So simple. Mm -hmm. Everything was very black and white. There was no fuzziness. But the look on Dr. Weber's face, he looks absolutely furious. And when he says, no, I'm not going to tell you how I keep my edge, it, it almost appears as if he's saying that as a interrogation tactic, that he's bartering it over oh. her head. He says, I'm not going to tell you how to do that. And my expectation was, unless you tell me who cut the Elbad wire, and then I'll let you in on the secret. But he surprises us and says, I am not going to be responsible mm. for you becoming less human. I don't know. I can't even talk about it. This, this scene is, impacts me so much. It's incredibly moving. Mm. And I don't think I have an MVP this episode. I want it to be Heigl for Izzy's performance. But Sandra O oh, completely and utterly breaking down and rebuilding Christina's character in one monologue, astounding. And not even a very long, it's not even a very long scene between these two and it just is everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so amazing. Okay, all right. But the next person on the chopping block is Izzy. But I think before we talk about her conversation with the chief, we need to talk about her seeing Denny awake for the first time. Yeah, cool. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And she walks in to see him and the first thing he sees when he wakes up is that fucking bolero. I was going to say her smile. She's so happy. She's (laughs) glowing. She's about to get fired. Mm -hmm. She does not care. No. But she dances around and acts a bit awkward because all she's thinking about is the fact that Denny proposed and she has no idea if he remembers and she has no idea if he meant it because it was so in the heat of such a heightened moment. I would absolutely be on Izzy's side of this. I'd be like, look, I understand you are having a minute. We don't have to go there. We've only known each other a few months. We can pretend that didn't happen. It's fine. And then she's, which is basically what she says. And she says, we should just date and have a lot of of sex. And we can revisit this conversation down the track. But instead, what we get, this is another MVP this episode. This monologue is stunning. I wrote almost none of it down and then I realised I had to rewatch it and write some of it down because Denny says it's my turn to talk and you have to let me talk because otherwise I'm going to get frustrated and yell. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of, it's a little bit woke for Grey's Anatomy, someone actually detailing what their expectations and needs are in advance. Love that. Now, do we want the whole monologue? Because I've just got the end part. Uh, Just a little bit of it. He says all of these beautiful things about how much he knows about Izzy and the reasons why he loves her and that, yes, he did ask her to marry him because he spent his entire life not being able to make his own choices. He's had to live by the word of doctors. And now he he can do whatever he wants. And what I choose is you. You're who I want to wake up with. 
and go to bed with and do everything in between with. I get to choose and I choose you, Izzy Stevens. Just so everyone knows, Ayla's holding her heart right now. She's holding her hand to her heart. I didn't want to do this episode. (laughs) It's really beautiful. It's really romantic. His eyes are welling up. And so's my penis. My God. (laughs) And, you know, this is why the world fell in love with Denny. Oh, yeah, we totally need to talk about the Instagram at some point because I posted up a meme about the perfect weighted blanket being Denny on top of you and everyone agreed. Let's put it that way. (laughs) And this is one of the reasons why (laughs) after 18 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, Denny, a character who was in it for one season, has left Mm -hmm. such an impact. There are are main Mm -hmm. Doctor characters who lasted for a season and I'm probably not going to remember as much about them as I do Denny. Yeah, Denny just holds this really special place in the Grey's Anatomy history books. No no other character kind of does that same emotional impact in such a short amount of time. It's it's such a particular thing that Denny has that no other character kind of comes close to. It's it's really interesting. He's enthralling. Yeah, and I think it's it's part the acting and part the writing. And it's it's mm. like a beautiful combination of both of those things. It just works so well. And there's also that rugged salt and pepper gentleman who plays him. But Izzy actually doesn't say anything to this monologue. Oh, she freaks out. She freaks out and she leaves the room. Mm-hmm. So now let's get into her interrogation. And then instead of like going home, Taking a minute to herself, she runs directly into Dr. Webber's office. And her monologue starts with her saying, I'm a pretty girl. It's just a fact, you know, for a long time she made her career out of her looks and she just says that she's a pretty girl and she knows it and it's just a part of her life and she's people just assume that she's not a smart girl, she's not an interesting girl, she's just a pretty girl and she's always just fit that same box. And so when people get to know her, it starts confusing people and that's why a lot of her relationships have failed. She feels because as soon as they realise that there's more to her, she's not a stereotype, it gets gets confusing. I feel like Jackson Avery gives us the exact same speech in a couple of seasons. Hmm, flag that, flag that. Mm. Hold that one for later. And then she says, but Denny doesn't make me feel like a pretty girl. He knows me. He knows me. And if I did cut the Elvad wire, and I'm not saying that I did, but if I did, I don't I don't feel guilty. Because Weber's heart skips a beat and he's so excited. I mean, I think Weber, they know. They know it's Izzy. Everyone knows it's Izzy. They just don't have any proof. And all of a sudden she kind of admits mm-hmm. to the fact that she's realising that for so long she's had to pushed really hard against this blonde pretty girl stereotype and she has been trying so hard for people to see her in another way and as soon as they do they don't accept her and they get confused so she has to almost work double time this is what I I think she's saying she works so hard to Mm. be something else and surgery was that thing that she was working so hard to be to prove that she was more than just her hair color 
Well, no, the smart girl is who she is. The pretty ditzy yeah. girl is who she's expected to be. Her looks lead people to believe that she is going to be a certain person. And when they get to know her and they figure out that she's not the person they were expecting or the person that they wanted to go along with that pretty face, big boobs and blonde hair, mm-hmm. they get disappointed. Well, all of a sudden she's saying that Denny, she doesn't have to prove anything with Denny. He knows that she, he knows her for who she is. And it's like, it's like, the way I see it is it's like she can breathe with Denny, you know? She doesn't have to force anything or try anything or be anything else. It's like easy. She lives under the weight of other people's expectations. And all of a sudden it's like, well, she doesn't need surgery anymore. But I feel like she's saying I don't need my career now because there's someone who just sees me for who I am and it's more impo- that's more important to me than anything else. Experiencing real love is something that everyone should have in their life. Yes. And I think that exactly what you said is going to come back around in this episode. Mm-hmm. A couple of times. Next up is George. George, who's very uncomfortable and Webber's tackling this the correct way. He is just staring him down. And all George really has to say is, I can't say what you want to hear. I can't be your guy. Honestly, I didn't take any notes on George. The George one, the George one I don't I don't think is as interesting to me as the other ones. I thought they were maybe gonna do something big with George's character and show that strong, determined side of George that we've seen a couple of times. Same, because I want that to be the real George and I feel like we're seeing the real people in all of these and I want that to be the George that comes through. But instead we just get a really similar George, the confused George. We're just seeing, yeah, season one, episode one, George. The thing that comes through with George is almost him reflecting on parts of the chief in this moment because he's saying he's saying that you don't need to love someone to want them because he's really struggling with still having feelings for Meredith and feeling like he's in love with Meredith when there's Callie who loves him for him who sees him for him which he's told us he said she sees me. me oh my god <laughs> And he's so confused with himself because he's he, he he doesn't understand why he can't make himself love Callie when he wants to be with Callie and he wants to love Callie, but he can't. Yeah, he wants he wants to want Callie because he does have feelings for Callie. He wants to be with her. And I think part of him's going, why isn't me choosing to and wanting to be with you enough right now? And I think that's a reflection on the chief because the chief's love triangle with his wife and with Ellis Gray comes up a lot this episode. I think what George is saying is reflecting on how the chief was feeling because obviously he wanted to be with his wife. He wanted to want his wife. He chose his wife, but he was always in love with Ellis. And this is also what's reflected in Derek. He wants to be with Addison. He Wants to want Addison. Wants to do the right thing. But he's in love with Meredith. Meredith wants to love Finn, wants to be with Finn, but she's in love with Derek. It is this, like, this same love triangle reflected in so many characters, and I think George is the one that gives it words. Christina wants to love Burke, but she loves herself and surgery just a bit more and wants for that to be okay. 
Next up is Meredith. Yeah, and if if Mer if George didn't call out the chief, Meredith falls to the wall. She's had enough of this bullshit. And Chief just says straight up, I know you didn't cut those Elvad wires. I've known you for a long time. And like I need to take a minute on this because I'm I'm really confused. We've spoken about this before, but Meredith, when she starts in the internship program, is introduced to the chief. She does not know who he is. We also had Ellis's scrub nurse who worked at this hospital forever. So we have we figured out whether or not Ellis went and had the baby for a little while and then came back and worked at this hospital. Meredith said she spent her childhood at this hospital, but she doesn't remember Dr. Weber. And now he's saying he's known her for a long time. You're getting confused about the timeline and it's ruining the magic. Oh, I'm putting facts into the story. Okay, that's fine. Sure. (laughs) Then please talk about Meredith's monologue because I give up. I give up. Meredith just basically comes up straight away and she says, I've been going over this again and um, I've been going over this again and again, over and over in my mind, trying to piece it together. And the chief assumes she's about to say (laughs) exactly what happened in that room. But she says, no, you are the reason. It was you that my parents split up. It was you all along. My mum left my dad for you and you didn't leave your wife. She never calls them her mum and dad. No, sorry. She left her husband for you. That's so true. I think that's a really important distinction too. She also says this thing because she's talking about the chief and, again, we get this really big reflection about the chief and about how she's feeling about Derek because these two storylines are so similar and it's almost like Meredith is, I'm going to say cursed, but it's not cursed, but like it's like this foreshadowing that Meredith is doomed to live her mother's life. Doomed to repeat history. That's a better way to say it. It wasn't just an affair. She really loved you. It wasn't this cheap thing where she didn't tell you that she was married, Derek. It wasn't all a lie. She left her husband for you. And I think this is Meredith Mm -hmm. coming to terms with the fact that Derek is not going to leave Addison. They are not going to be together, just like the chief is not leaving his wife for Ellis. I think she's so worried about turning into her mother, she's not going to be with the man she wants to be with, and potentially that's going to ruin her a little bit make her unloving, make her sad and hurt her for a long time. Make her turn out just like Ellis, cold and unfeeling. Yeah, it's awful. It's it's so sad. Mm-hmm. Well, because she tries to speak to Derek in this episode when she finds out about Doc and he's still doing that disgusting childish behaviour where he doesn't, want to even look at her, acknowledge her existence and is acting so disgusted by her. He's not just acting like that with Meredith either. He treats Addison the same way. She comes up all excited to see him and she apologises for asking him if there was something going on between him and Meredith, the lover's spat. She says, we are trying. I was jealous when there was no need to be, right? Look at her being so honest and so open and so willing to put all her cards on the table and so willing to come to the table and do anything she needs to do. Even her small amount of jealousy, she decides to 
tell Derek about and offer it up as another way of her saying sorry to him when he's he can't even do the bare minimum and effectively lie to her when she asks if there was a need for her to be jealous. Mm-hmm. He can't even answer the question. He just says, do you want to go to prom with me? He can't even talk about it, can't even bring it up, and he's going to prom. I think he wants to be the good guy and not lie to her. He's like, oh, we'll go to prom together and it'll be really obvious that I'm such a good guy and I'm staying with my wife. Because I'm going to prom with you. And even though the whole hospital heard Addison say that he was in love with Meredith, he's going to stay and be the great, the, what was it? Honourable. You're an honourable man. Oh, I'm sorry. You all can't see my face. So Meredith. It was disgust. Her losing her religion, this, this theme comes through Meredith and the way that she says to Derek that she thinks they have to put Doc down. And Doc is almost this symbol for their relationship, actually. It is. It's very obviously a symbol for the relationship of Meredith and Derek and how they've been holding on to it mm-hmm. and how Addison has always been on the periphery of it and how Addison, it's Addison's dog too, but she doesn't take him for walks with Derek and Meredith in the mornings. That is a huge note that I had in there. I feel like Addison spent more time with Doc than Meredith did. Yeah, Definitely. And Meredith admits it in this that Doc has lived with, well, she says Derek, but it's Derek and Addison for longer but than Doc ever lived with Meredith. They shoo Meredith out of they shoo Addison out of the room. But it's the same thing. Derek and Addison have spent more time together being Derek and Addison than Meredith and Derek ever had been. Mm. But still, Addis, it's like they treat Addison like she's nothing. Justice for Addison. Always justice for Addison. Always justice for Addison. So we do get a scene in the doctor's office, well, in the vet's office, of them saying goodbye to Doc, which is the most heartbreaking scene. Oh, my God. Are you already tearing up? Yeah, this makes me so sad. And they're patting Doc and Meredith is completely breaking, completely breaking. And Derek the last reason they had to talk to each other. Derek is so unemotional. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he, you can still tell he loves the dog. He's holding on to the dog and he is obviously feeling things, but he's keeping it so far inside as Meredith is just absolutely mm-hmm. sobbing. But that's how it's been their entire relationship. She's always being gaslit into mm-hmm. thinking that she's the, oh, this is just how he treats women. Every woman in his life is led to believe that she's the crazy one who's overreacting and is too emotional whereas he is the stern, steadfast, sensible one who isn't torturing them within an inch of their lives. Mm. I'm so angry. Mm. And he tries to hold her hand. You okay, Muffin? Yeah, I'm okay. That's really sad. Okay. (laughs) So Doc is gone. Meredith has to leave the room because she has to go change, and that's where we get the little moment of Meredith saying that it wasn't even her dog as much as it was Derek's dog. But it's it's just her saying goodbye to their relationship. And then I think we need to go back to the hospital before because everyone's getting changed for prom now. Everyone's getting ready. Where did they get the gowns? Who just has a last-minute gown? They've all gone home to change. Oh, how, why do they have them? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, okay, when we get to the prom, I feel like we need to talk about them because they were, that is, you want to know what we looked like in the early thousands? 
that. There's just a really important little moment that we do need to talk about first. It's Christina going in to see Burke and it's really brief, but Burke says that he's giving Christina an out. She finally builds up the courage to go in and see him and the only thing she can think to say to him is, we're having a prom and Dr. Burke says, yes, I know. George mentioned it. And she's like, well, why why were you talking to George? Because he's my friend. He cares. He came to see me. And he kind of turns away from Christina and she just has to leave the room. I won't bear a grudge. Basically saying you don't have to be with me. I have to take care of myself. You don't have to take care of me and I won't bear a grudge. If you choose to leave. He's giving her an out because he knows he knows and he's ashamed, I think, of this injury already. He's so he's so broken. I think he's more scared of Christina, to be honest. He knows that she, well, maybe he just kind of knows that the only thing they have in common and the only thing that they bond and connect over is surgery. Yeah. And Christina isn't someone who's, well, one, she's an intern. Asking her to take time off to stay at home and look after him is probably not something that's going to happen. And she's really, really committed. And that's one of the reasons that you love her and one of the things you're constantly holding against her. So he's just kind of come full circle and said, I understand that this isn't something that you're going to be able to prioritize. And I won't hold that against you if you choose to tap out. Well, because I also think that that's why Burke loves her because she she is hardcore and she is surgery and he likes that drive in a person. So potentially even her giving up anything for him would be like he knows that would be her losing a part of herself and he doesn't want to see her do that. Correct. Mm. I still have very little sympathy for him though. I don't necessarily want to see him as, I still don't see him as this, him being the good guy in this. I can't help but see him in any Mm. way that's not manipulative. Well, we don't really get a resolution to that yet, but what we do get is everyone arriving at prom and the outfits. Oh, and the outfits. Addison's, Addison's has this neckline and I don't know why we thought it was okay. It flatters no one it gives so it's technically a halter neck but instead of haltering from the side it's kind of a a boob tube moment that's got a weird horseshoe in the middle of the titties and there's ruching and it just it gives you the worst kind of uni boob ever imaginable you have to say she looks very good in red she does and her makeup and hair is fantastic but i just have issues with the dress Strapless, I think, would have looked really beautiful. (laughs) Just a strapless. Would be great. Addison does tell us that she wouldn't have been to the prom in high school and she's really excited about it and chirpy and wonderful because in high school she was too busy talking to her friend about Star Wars. Yeah, she says she was a band geek with braces. Mm -hmm. And I think they're just really trying to highlight that Addison and Meredith were opposites. They're saying that Meredith was the alternative, rebellious goth chick and Addison was the the quiet, nerdy girl, which I do not peep for a second. If you told me that Addison had Morticia Adams vibes in high school and used to dye her beautiful natural red hair to be 
I black? I would believe yeah, you. I can't pick it with Addison. I don't see her as a band geek at all, but I I also don't think I see her as dyeing her hair black like that. I I feel like I see her as being friends with the popular girls, but not one of the popular ones. Yeah, no, also being someone who played an instrument and was in band. She's like in the group, but she's not one of the main ones. Mm-hmm. Because she had interests like was really good at school, did band, yeah. like some more alternatives. She would have been friends with Bailey. Yeah, totally. I yeah. see her and Bailey being mates. And also, why have why have Bailey and Addison not both spoke about their love for Star Wars? That's so true. That would be <laughs> such a cute scene. I would love to see them hanging out more. Uh, Grey's Anatomy writers, uh, season 19, if we could get that going, that'd be great. But uh, Mer- uh, Derek and Addison end up getting onto the dance floor and dancing. Mm-hmm. And we get this really beautiful moment where the chief sees his niece, Camille, who the whole prom has prom, the oh, whole prom has been thrown for, and she's dancing with her boyfriend. And Chief comes over, taps the boyfriend on the shoulder, and has a little dance with her niece. And we get what just might be one of the most important single lines of this episode because I think it is so poignant and is so, like, important in everybody's storylines today because the Chief is basically just really concerned that his niece is dying, basically. Mm. And he's correct. He's doing that protective dad thing that we talked about, which is not our favorite thing. But he's kind of saying, like, I'm concerned about you having a boyfriend. Mm-mm. And her response is, be kind to him because he loves me. And she says, I have been loved. And she says it with this huge grin on her face. And she says, that's something everybody should have once in their life. As if she knows, but she's coming to terms with it because it's like she's achieved the most important thing of life. She's achieved that. She's been loved. So it's okay that she might not make it very much longer she's trying to find the things to be grateful for and she so maturely has kind of come to terms with her situation and her death because Mm -hmm. someone has loved her and she has been loved and that makes it all okay and I think in that moment the chief realizes how much wiser this girl is than everybody else that he's kind of spoken to today and himself. Her situation. Definitely. And then this young girl just mm. just like blows them all out of the water. I think he's seen a lot of revelations and a lot of reflections of himself today and had a lot of moments where he's thought that these interns were quite wise mm. as a teenager. And then we get one of the most tropey, tropey, tropey tropes of the late 90s and early 1000s Hollywood films, high school films is what I meant to say, Derek spots the vet. The vet, being a friendly guy, says, hey, condolences, how are you doing? And then the camera pans 
and everything goes silent. He also says, have you seen Meredith? Because he hasn't seen her yet. Correct. no one's seen her yet. The camera pans to the staircase and everything goes quiet as our popular girl walks down the stairs. Or is she the girl that got a makeup transformation everyone now suddenly thinks is attractive? That's such a trope, isn't it? They always enter prom like that Mm -hmm. and it's always walking downstairs. It's actually how I describe my friend Emma. Um, When I talk about what it's like going out with her, I'm like, you remember that 90s movie trope where the hot girl walks in the door and everything stops and everyone just stares at her? That is what it's like hanging out with my friend Emma. (laughs) And just one of the most incredibly engaging and enthralling personalities. Like if I hadn't seen them, I would assume she had really messed up toes because you're just not allowed to be that figured out as a person. Are you bringing up my toes? Are you talking about my toes again? You bring no, you and Emma definitely sit in the same ballpark. I wouldn't like to see you in the same room. No one would know where to look. It'd be like looking directly into the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Made me talk about my messed up toes a few episodes back and it was was not okay. Um. So basically Meredith finds Finn, ends up dancing with him, and Derek just keeps fucking staring at her. She's trying to have a nice time. Finn's saying really beautiful things like all of a sudden he has plans for the future again now that he's met Meredith because after his partner passed away in a car crash, he's never been able to think about the future again. He's never been able to make plans and all of a sudden. all the plans he had disappeared with her. Finn thinks he's having a moment with Meredith. And she's just staring at Derek and Addison thinks she's having a moment and he's just staring at me. Just Just causes Meredith to need a second. She gets a little bit, it all gets a little bit too intense and she needs to walk away. And Derek sees that and decides to chase her off into an on-call room. And again, she says, leave me alone. Again, she says, because you have a wife and you called me a whore and our dog died which is fucking fair, and now you're looking at me. Stop looking at me. And then he has the fucking audacity to say, I'm not looking at you. The gaslighting. And it's infuriating. What else does he say? Because all my notes say is this doesn't excuse your behaviour. You can't regulate your own emotions so you take it out on someone else. Well, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, she's just yelling because she has all this pent-up frustration because he is ruining her life. He won't leave her alone. She's trying to be happy. She's trying to move on. He has a fucking wife and she's making all these plans and all these decisions and she wants to be with Finn, but he won't leave her alone. He keeps getting in her head by stalking her and watching her and being around and asking to dog walk her. And Meredith is like, He's perfect for me, but I can't breathe with you looking at me like that. So stop. And he just makes it out as if it's all her fault and he's so wounded and he's so sad and it's so hard for him. Be a fucking grown-up. You have 10 years on her. Well, what he says again is fucking disgusting. He says, do you think I want to be looking at you? Do you think I wouldn't wouldn't rather be looking at my wife? I'm married and I have responsibilities and she doesn't drive me crazy. I'm sorry. How is she doesn't make it impossible for me to feel normal? He's putting all of the blame on Meredith. On Meredith. It's that thing where it's like, oh, well, what were you wearing? How much did you have to drink? 
He is victim blaming. He says something like, it makes me crazy thinking about my veterinarian touching you. I would give anything to not be looking at you. So don't. So so don't. I just find it so aggressive. It's so repulsive. I was so furious with what happened next. I had to stop the episode. Okay. So as much as I... It's a great scene. It's very well directed. The cinematography here. It is a hot as fuck sex scene. Don't get me wrong. The second I watched it, all I was thinking is, man, this is what missing from Grey's these days. But no. But also, I get it. I get why Meredith does this. She loves this man. She wants him. She wants to not want him. She wants to want Finn. Yes, we all got manipulated by older men in our early 20s and were led to believe that we deserved this kind of behaviour and to find it desirable. But it's not okay because at the end of the day she loves him because she's been manipulated by him for two years and he's done nothing but gaslight her overstep her boundaries sexually and yeah. verbally harass her keep saying these things to me because like, I'm, I'm i'm liking Derek again no this is disgusting he has just stood there and blamed her for his stalking and sexual harassment and think about the way that he's treated her over the last several weeks he has called her a whore he's called her disgusting Mm. he's barely given her as much attention as he would give to gum on the bottom of his shoe Mm -hmm. and it's her responsibility Mm -hmm. she made him treat her that way Mm -hmm. I wouldn't act like this if you didn't make me so angry are you not picking up all of these domestic abuse triggers no I, I do I totally do but I just, I I don't know. No, I'm too modern about it. I can't. The sex scene was good. And I've, Bryce, my God, some of the best sex of my life. Did I hate that guy with every fibre of my being? Yes. Could I talk to him for more than three minutes when I got to his house? It just takes me no. back to feeling like that, to being treated like that and still wanting the guy. Correct. Because we were trained to believe systematically our entire life that our responsibility is to please the men and anything that goes wrong is our fault. Yeah, and then it's like you're treated so badly and then they kind of tell you that they still want you and you feel like you did a good thing. Correct. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's happening here. It's really fucked up and I know that. Like I intellectually see it and I know it. But like watching this scene, I just go, yeah, I, I get, I get it. I get why Meredith does this. Of course we get it because this happened to us. I'm sure this is something that happened to every one of our listeners and we get it. It's taking a step back. Hindsight is twenty twenty. It's all deep manipulation. Yeah. And that's why you understand it because you were in this situation. Yeah. And we both work in industries that we work with and meet and socialize with people who are younger than us. And if you were to watch someone going through this or a similar situation to what you or I went through when we were that age, what would you say? 
Oh, I'd pick up on it straight away if Correct. I saw a younger person. Yeah. But you don't know until you know. Totally. And that's why you're saying you would cave because you at that age in that situation would have caved. Now, Definitely. do you think you would have gotten past episode three, season one? No, I'd be, yeah. Well, because I know what it's like to be treated well now. Correct. Mm. Okay. Moving on. Then we have to move on because it's really getting to the crux of this episode and the stuff that Ayla doesn't want to talk about. But the next person to arrive at prom and walking down the stairs like a princess, like Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries, <laughs> in, in her big pink, very dated, but also looking incredible. What's that? What's that material that like changes color when you it's like it would go up in flames. Right. There are no natural fibers in that dress. She's so happy. Her hair is in like a a braid, but it's also kind of quaffed at the top. Cinderella. She looks like a pink Cinderella. She just heads she heads straight into Denny's room. She passes Alex on the stairs. And Alex says he didn't bring a date to this because it's too cheesy and he wouldn't waste a hot chick on something so cheesy. And Izzy just is doesn't care. She's like, I'm off to see Denny before I go in. And he, we get this little look from Alex where he looks at her and you can see in his eyes that he, he's not over her, but he has the respect to leave her alone and let her be with Denny as she's. And the respect for himself to not put himself through that. Exactly, because Alex is a decent person on the inside and we get glimpses of it, even though his facade is saying shit like, I wouldn't waste a decent chick on a cheesy ball like this. Oh, yeah, it's a disgusting thing to say. Yeah, (laughs) but we're not excusing that. We're not excusing that, but you can see that inside he loves Izzy and he knows the best thing to do is to let Izzy be happy and he walks away. And Izzy gets into that elevator and she is beaming. She is so excited. She has done everything she can to look the most beautiful she can for Denny because this is the first time he's going to see her not in scrubs, not tired. She's never dressed up for him and, before. Yeah. And and to be honest, before he got a new heart, if she got him that excited, he may have died. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we got a little joke in there before this. (laughs) We also quickly need to touch on the fact that, well, as Izzy is looking so stunning, she's getting into an elevator. You can see that she feels beautiful in herself and she is the happiest we've ever seen her. We're Mm -hmm. getting flashes between Izzy heading into Denny's room and flashes with Meredith and Derek having sex. They finish up and they are kind of tousling their clothes back on and all of a sudden this on-call room that they have been having sex in, the door flings open and it is Callie and she's caught them at the very end of doing this deed. Getting redressed. And instead of saying anything, pops the the last bit of Meredith's zip back up. She does something. She, like, she helps Meredith basically. She helps Meredith. Mm. Right. I was too busy crying. I I can't remember this scene even a little bit. Callie doesn't really say anything, even though she knows what she's just walked in on because she sees the two of them. She fixes Meredith's dress. She fixes Meredith's dress at the back. I think there's a bow or a zip and she does the last bit for Meredith as Meredith's running out. And then Callie gives the greasiest Callie look 
to Derek? Well, I would too because, and I just think she's on our side. Yeah. She helps Meredith and she's like, fuck you, Derek. I know exactly what you've done. Well, because she probably hears Meredith saying, where's my underwear? Where's my underwear? And Derek just not helping her look for it. Where are my black panties? I had black panties. But, yeah, you're right. Kelly, she knows. She knows that Derek has done this to Meredith. Derek is the bad guy in this situation. Mm -hmm. And she also has compassion for Meredith. So she's going to help Meredith but give Derek the biggest fucking greasy that she can pull out as she leaves. And it is good. It is a great look that she gives and it expresses all of the disgust that we feel. No one does it like Sarah Romero. Exactly. And then we see Denny being unable to breathe and we see flashes of the heart monitor and then we don't actually see much else in Denny's room because the person that breaks this news to us is Bailey. All of a sudden we're whisked away to the, the gallery and the chief is sitting in there because he needs a moment because he's just realised that Camille knows that she's going to die and he's having a moment and Bailey walks in and says, Sir, Danny Duquette died. And then we get more cuts and more flashes and we get all of our interns running around the hospital. It's like there's been a chain of whispers and they are running around and they're running towards Denny's room and they're all saying, where is she? Where is she? And Olivia is standing at the door and Olivia says she's in there. And this is where we get this absolutely iconic scene of Izzy in her pink dress curled up around Denny. Who is blue. Just holding him. He's just... He's 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 gone, and and she says, "I think it was a stroke. He was pl- prone to blood clots. A clot could have formed on his sutures, and travelled to his brain. It only takes a second. Doctor Hahn did a beautiful job on the surgery. Why wasn't Doctor Hahn invited to prom? And she also says, "But I don't know why I didn't think of blood clots." Because in this moment, I think she's so unable to process the emotional load of it that she's thinking like a doctor and she's thinking back through all of the things that she did because she thought that she'd fixed everything and thought of everything, but she did not think of blood clots. And you know when you just torture yourself with one minor detail? Yes, I have rabid anxiety. I think that's what she's doing. That's what I saw as well, her blaming herself for not being there in time because she goes on to say, I would have been here sooner, but I wanted to look perfect and I I had to get dressed and I had to, I kept changing my dresses. Dress three times. And we look around and we see all of her friends there and they all look like they're in mourning. Everyone's wearing black. Everyone is wearing black except Izzy. I think that's such an important thing to see and note because it's such a beautiful detail of this episode and so much credit goes to the wardrobe, the wardrobe people for this because what an incredible choice. Izzy is so pink and happy and bright and and everyone else is in black. Mourning their lost religion. And then all of a sudden they have to help their friend. And the one person that says the most perfect thing in this moment 
is Alex. And he says that's it's not Danny anymore. It stopped being Danny the second his heart stopped beating. But he also loved you. And a guy that loves you like that, he doesn't want you to do this to yourself. And I really believe that Alex is also talking about Alex and how Alex feels because Alex doesn't want to see Izzy upset. Alex wants to be with Izzy, but he was big enough to walk away from Izzy and he was walked away so that Izzy could be happy and he doesn't want to see her like this. And Izzy says an hour ago he was proposing and now and now he's going to the morgue and she bursts into tears. Isn't that the craziest mm. thing? And Alex lifts her up and cradles her so that they can take him away. And carries her out of the room. Oh, my God, it is heartbreaking. And every, all of our interns are there and Callie is there as well, which I really love because, because Callie is now being invited into this fold. She's given some loyalty to Meredith. She's seen Meredith's secret. She's been there, but she's also there for George. Because she's never been allowed to know the secrets. So when she tries to speak to George earlier, all she knows is that they had plans last mm-hmm. night when he was in the Elvad room and he just bailed on them for Izzy. And then she said, I love you, and he bailed again. Yeah. And now she has Meredith's secret. She's she's allowed to be involved. We see Christina make her decision because she doesn't follow her friends out straight away. She goes straight into Burke's room and covers her hands over his hand in such a nurturing and protective way. I think she's realised that he's really important to her and you can lose your people really quickly. I mean, seeing one of your best friend's partners die like that would would really make you think about yourself so much. I just want to lighten this all up for a hot second because we've got a few things. One, Meredith and the vet haven't had the sex yet. We find out this episode. That's dropped. So has sex with Derek, still hasn't had sex with the vet. Upsetting. But we also didn't talk about the conversation that Callie and George had because Callie, at some point, I don't remember when, passes George in the corridor and is storming to prom in a very uncomfortable dress, very uncomfortable shoes, and George can fuck right off. And he says, I thought you said you weren't going to prom. No, I'm not going with you. And Callie, being our incredible, emotionally aware person, turns around and tells George exactly how she feels. I told you I was in love with you and you couldn't say anything back. And that's not fair. And... My response to this is I personally don't think people should be pressured to say it. That's exactly what George says. And I 100% agree with everything George says here. Yeah, I I totally agree too. I totally agree. But I also feel for Callie because in her most vulnerable moment where she says that she loves George for the first time, yeah. again, even though, yes, we know it was really serious what George went to do, but from from Callie's perspective, oh. we see George leave her again for his friends. Yeah, this poor woman is blindsided. This this whole storyline between Callie and George is this push and pull and Callie always feeling like George doesn't have the respect for her because he will never let her in with his friends and he will constantly 
she's always the second choice. Perfect way to say it. And if George was just open and and honest with her, I feel like she would understand so much more and be so much more accepting and she would be fine. But he just keeps so much away from her and keeps her so separate in his life. He's doing a lot of lying by omission when it comes Mm. to Callie, which is making her feel like she's making it all up in her head. Yeah. Really. And then he's not doing anything to calm those fears or acknowledge his behavior. Um, So, no, I'm 100% on the side of don't, you shouldn't be pushing people into saying things they don't feel because it's only going to end up hurting you. And I think that Callie was just at a point of desperation where she's in love with a person who doesn't seem to want to show her the time of day and she needs an explanation. Totally. Or an answer. And I think he gives her an acceptable answer. But aside from making out and going to have sex in an on-call room, I would really have loved to have seen them sit down and have a conversation about their expectations and their boundaries furthering this relationship because that needs to happen. But that is not dramatic TV. Mm. I mean, I think it would be really interesting. It would be great TV because it would be like TV. I feel like we learn so much from watching TV. We learn so much by watching characters interact and what. We said it time and time again with Meredith and Derek and you just brought it up now. Mm. We were taught what level of love and attention to expect from men from these things. And I'm so proud of everyone knowing better now. So our big kind of finale scene is we have our elders of the hospital is like the best kind of way to put it, I reckon. We've got the chief and Bailey and Derek and Addison all kind of yeah. standing in the foyer. They've they've all realized, well, Derek has obviously realised that he hasn't seen Meredith in a long time and Chief and Bailey haven't seen anyone but particularly Izzy. They're all quite concerned because they know what's just happened and they're standing around and all of a sudden this kind of mourning procession walks down. Izzy walks towards them flanked by George and Alex, which just feels like really beautiful symbolism. Mm. Yeah. You've got Christina and Meredith floating in behind. And even though she's broken and she's upset, she has these like pillars behind her of strength and security and like people that have her back. And it's a really like a moment of like solidarity with our five interns. It's what everyone was saying. I cut the old bad wire. Exactly. And now here they're not just talking the talk, they are there with her at every step of this really hard moment. And as Izzy walks past the chief, she turns around and she says, I did it. I cut the Elvad wire. I had no help. So I, I thought I was a surgeon, but I can't. So I quit. And she just walks down the stairs with Alex and George escorting her. And Meredith's left at the top of the stairs. And Finn comes to find her. Burke, Bailey and Addison all head back down to prom. Derek's standing on one side of the room and Finn's standing on the other side of the room. And she is the puppy. Well, Finn says, I'll drive you home. Like, come on, let's go, I'll drive you home. And 
Derek just gives her this absolutely longing look. It says Meredith. And in this moment, Finn finally understands that something is between these two and I don't think he's ever, ever clocked it before. Or, well, he's clocked it because he's asked about it, but he's never really known. And Finn says Meredith and she just looks between these two men and these two men look at each other and that's the end of the episode and our season ends such now a big moment. back on it because this was such a big moment, like, oh, who's Meredith going to choose? But the bigger thing is Denny. The bigger thing for me is Izzy quitting. The yeah. biggest thing is these interns becoming a unit, becoming a family and taking the next step of what it means for these five to be in on something together so solidly and so cohesively. And I kind of want that to be the biggest story. Absolutely agree. But it was the early thousands mm. and relationships, romantic relationships were how we validated our existence. Yeah, more important than our than stories about friendship. But anyway, that is how the episode ends. And I feel like people don't talk about Finn and McVet as much as they talk about Denny's death. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. No. Thank you all so much. Two seasons. I can't believe it. Technically we've done three seasons because we have done season 18 as well. We have done. Yeah. Season three is coming up. Um, we should let you all know that we're going to be taking a little bit of a break before season three. There were a couple of reasons that we had to put this episode on hold uh, for a little bit. We do thank you all so much for your patience, but the next couple of weeks are looking quite intense for both Tamsin and myself. Uh, so we appreciate you all so much for being with us, um, but we are going to take a couple of weeks hiatus. Yeah, we'll definitely be back with season three before season 19 comes out. So you'll definitely hear from us, but we just need a little bit of a break. And, you know, I feel like that's okay. A lot of podcasts I listen to all take a bit of a hiatus at some point. So this is us just going to take a little bit of time, time off before we dive into season three, which I'm really excited about. I am too. There's it's It's one of those seasons where I know it has a lot of really great moments, but off the top of my head, like I, I knew starting this podcast that we were going to get to this minute mm. and I wasn't thinking much past here because I didn't want to do it again and now it's over. I've got to remember and get back into season three. So I think on our break I'm just going to do some Grey's Anatomy watching for the fun of it. I think I'm just going to binge watch season three for the funsies without hey. taking notes. Yeah, you should. I've watched the I've watched a few episodes of season three. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, but, I look forward to doing that. We're loving hearing all of your unpopular opinions on Instagram. They are living. Yeah, we'll still be around. We'll still be on Instagram. We'll still be um, sending you any updates about season 19 that we find. We'll still be sharing mm -hmm. some silly memes and we're always, always ready to hear your opinions. So hit us up on Instagram. Uh, we are at Scalpels and Tequila or our personal Instagram accounts. I am at Misty Hayes and Ayla is at Ayla underscore Azure. We look forward to hearing from you all soon. Thank you all again so much for all the support you've shown us over these three seasons. And I promise that I will control my cats better next season. Love you all. Bye. Bye. Sing it.